Welcome to Paradigms at Paradigms.life, the radio show and podcast that brings you inspired, inspiring people with visions of a viable future for life on Earth that includes humans. And of course, every week, that tagline becomes even more weighty. I'm Baruch, host of Paradigms. Happy to be here with you. Well, I'm glad I can be here with you, but I'm not happy about what's going on. Obviously, the world is in an epidemic, and people are dying, and a lot of people are doing incredible, incredible things to help their communities be stronger. All love and appreciation to all the medical personnel that are out there putting their lives on the line to help people. Different countries are handling this in different ways, some more effectively than others. Here in the United States, our federal government is so corrupt and led by a person so pathological and incompetent that he actually demands that people proclaim their fealty to him before he will release medical supplies to them. But we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the amazing guest I'm bringing you today, Justin Varnes. He's a drummer and a composer and a person of conscience. He has some good things to say, and we're going to listen to some wonderful music. Because even with scary things going on, we need to feed our souls with creativity and positivity. So, with no further ado, let's meet my guest on this episode of Paradigms. Justin Barnes, welcome to Paradigms. Glad to be here, Brooke. I've just been listening to your new record, interestingly named Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack, and listeners will get it when they look at how it's spelled, but really uh, music with an incredible mission behind it. I want to start by asking just sort of who you are, where you hail from, and how you got into being a drummer. Well, I'm originally from uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and that's really where I kind of cut my musical teeth. My dad listened to jazz a lot when, when I was a kid. When I was in my early teens, I didn't, I didn't really dig it. I was interested in the pop music of the time, and, you know, and, and still am. But eventually, that music started to seep into my, my listening and into my soul. And then by the time I got to high school, I really was heavily into it. It's also the same time I started to become a musician. I started off on the trumpet. I played trumpet and jazz band at an art school in Jacksonville and then slowly gravitated toward the drums. After college in Jacksonville, I moved to New York to pursue a, a career in jazz. I was there eight years and then eventually moved to Atlanta to continue that pursuit, uh, which is where I am now. You know, one doesn't usually think of the drummer as the composer. So right. you're unusual in that way. Yeah, it's because I was originally a trumpet player and I also played some bass. You know, I've always had melodies and, and harmonies in my mind. When I was in school, being the drummer, I felt this need to not fall behind when it came to understanding jazz harmony and jazz improvisation because these weren't tools I was going to be able to use heavily on the drum set. So I found myself feeling like uh, I needed to pay closer attention. So I studied that stuff a, a lot because I didn't want to you know, lose ground there. But it does make for an interesting uh, compositional process, at least for myself. For me, I have to get a melody in my head, and I almost write these songs completely in my head. I can hear everything before I sit down at the piano and start to pull out the melodies 
by ear. So a lot of it was recording it into my phone or into a voice recorder. You know, I'd sing a bass line and then later sing a, a melody over that. And then I would get to the piano and find out what those notes would be and then start filling in the gaps using, you know, theory and jazz harmony. It's fascinating because it's very complex layered music. It's not simple at all. Clearly, there's a lot of parts you're hearing in your head and that you're managing to convey to the other players. Let's talk about this record, Survival Instinct, the evolution of the pack. Firstly, the name, Evolution, E-V-I-L-U-T-I-O-N. What are you saying? Well, the way this record started was just trying to figure out the common thread between why we can get together in groups and then attack each other, dehumanize each other, and how how there are so many different kinds of groups out there, whether it be political or religious or cultural. So I did a lot of research and studying on like how humans evolved and how we, how we eventually went from fighting with other kind of humanoid species to essentially taking over the planet. And in that process, I learned that we seem to function so much better in smaller groups and in packs of you know, eight and 10 and 12. We take care of each other that way. And we were like that for thousands and thousands of years. However, when, you know, the technological revolution occurred and, and you know, globalization, these, these groups became thousands of people, if not millions of people. And the larger those groups or packs grew, the more dangerous we are belonging to those packs. So that's kind of like the the evolution of our species going from small packs to larger packs and how that has intensified our violent tendencies toward each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I was talking with someone recently about that human beings seem to have done better when we lived in villages of around 150 people and everyone knew everyone's face at the very least if they didn't actually know them and there was accountability and there was mutual aid and that with the scale of humanity we've lost some of that a lot of that i totally agree so you put this message and these ideas into music into jazz music songs composed by a drummer it really doesn't get any more unusual than that <laughs> i know you know how that kind of came to be is it's fairly simple in that, you know, reading about artists, you know, a, a while back, Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter penned a, a, a co-authored an open letter to artists about how important it is for us to continue to create art, to inspire change, to in, inspire people to do better. And so as I'm thinking of this, just as a person, I, you know, I, these, these terrible events are happening and, I get this feeling like, what can I do? I realize that, well, I am a drummer, I am a jazz musician, and this is my medium. So, you know, I am more well-equipped to write jazz music about it than I am to make a movie about it or put on a play about it. So it's because it's my medium. I was like, All right, well, I know this might seem a little weird, but this is where my heart is and, I, and this is where my strength is as, a, as an artist. I love it. I mean, it really speaks to that everyone has a place in the big puzzle, right? This is your piece. Right. Yes, sir. I think that's very cool. That is yes, very sir. cool. That's the first part of my conversation with Justin Varnes. We're just learning a bit about his inspiration and 
how he got into music. We'll be back, after we hear some of this music, to talk about the making of this record. And then it gets even more interesting, so stick around. But here is a little piece from the new record, Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack by Justin Varnes. This is just the prelude that starts the record out. Enjoy. This is Paradigms at Paradigms.life. heard the prelude to the record Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack by Justin Varnes. That was just a little taste. We're going to get much deeper into this record, but let's get back to my conversation now with Justin Varnes. Talk to me a little bit about the recording and about the other players, because it's really tight. Thanks. Here in Atlanta, I've, I've been hosting a, a five-year-long series at a club here in Atlanta called The Velvet Note. It's called the Jazz Legacy Series. And Myself and the saxophonist, John Sanford, pianist, Nick Rosen, and bassist, Kevin Smith, uh, this quartet, we've been studying and working on monthly artists, you know, you know, Thelonious Monk and Charles Mingus and Charlie Parker, and we put these on once a month. So for the last five years, this quartet has been working together, performing together a ton, not just that monthly event but uh, several other concerts, and we've become really close-knit, and that's the core of this ensemble. Some of the music is heavily influenced by Charles Mingus, some by Charlie Parker, some by Duke Ellington, and some by Ornette Coleman. And this band has studied those composers and, and that music so much that it's fairly easy for them to hear where I was coming from as a composer and say, oh, okay, yeah, I know where Justin's coming from with this, so I can play that role fairly comfortably. 
then from there, we augmented the band. As I started to write it, I started to hear harmonies. And, and so eventually I figured out that I needed three horns. And so from there, I, I chose a great trumpet player out of New Orleans, now lives in Columbia, South Carolina, by the name of Mark Rapp. And then uh, a young up-and-coming alto player here from Atlanta named Luke Weddington. So that's the instrumentation, trumpet, alto, tenor, and then piano, bass, drums. And then I was specific about the recording process because I wanted a palpable emotional impact when you listen to the recording. I wanted it to feel and sound raw and live. If we were too isolated in the studio, if there were too many overdubs, while it's easy to get a nice clean sound that way, and a lot of music benefits from having a nice clean tight sound, I erred on the side of capturing more raw emotions. And I thought that was going to be better captured if we were all in the room at the same time and we understood that there would be no overdubs. We were going to keep recording until we got a complete take that really captured the spirit. So what I did is I recorded it in a small theater. We were all on stage. We set up in the round, and we ran it just like a live show. We had only a couple of monitors, but we, we had monitors so people could hear the, the piano. No headphones. All the mics were live, so it all bled into each other. And we recorded in that theater for three straight days, Every day we would run two sets of the music. We would, we would do one song and then move on to the next as if it were a live show. And we did that. We got about six sets. So we recorded each song about five or six times. And I just took the best overall take. So you'll hear little tiny things that don't quite go right. But I erred on the side of emotion because of so many of my favorite jazz records from the 40s, 50s, and 60s were recorded that way. You know, as a um, radio personality who spins these records, you spin them enough and you start to realize, hey, wait a minute, I think so-and-so got lost there. But it doesn't detract from the emotional content of the music, which is what I think we're most interested in. In fact, it really comes across on this record. I was just listening to it before you called, and I wouldn't have noticed this maybe until you said what you said. It's so comfortable the way the sound is on this record. It's so like I'm in a club, I'm listening, I'm having a good time. It's not like I'm sitting down listening to some rarefied thing. It's really accessible in that way. So I think you, you succeeded brilliantly in your recording method in creating that ambiance. It really comes across. And the fact that you're, the players on the record are all basically students of these great musicians you listed a minute ago it comes through. I almost feel like I'm listening to a very old recording. I, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks so much. What a cool way to make a record, to play together live in a hall. I love it. And, and you can hear it on this record. We'll be back to talk with Justin about a specific track on the album and what it means, which is relevant to what we're going through right now. But first, let's hear some more music from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack. This one's called Fergamore Island, Texas Blues. Thank you. 
That was Fergamore Island, Texas Blues from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack by Justin Varnes. And now here is the next part of our conversation. I want to ask you specifically about one of the tracks because I really liked it and because it speaks so much to the mission of uh, what you said about people, which is Red Mouse, Blue Mouse. Yes. Good timing for that one. Yes. (laughs) As I mentioned previously, I wanted to study the different packs or different groups that we all put ourselves in nowadays and how that can turn ourselves, uh, you know, against each other. And so one of those is politically. And although it's the case in most areas of the world, obviously I focused on our kind of two-party system here in America, how we've got conservatives, liberals, or Republicans, Democrats, however you look at it. And what you find is, or at least my experience, I am from the South, and I have been around a whole bunch of people from the South who are conservative and some who are liberal. I developed a lot up in the Northeast, which has a strong liberal presence, but I also know plenty of conservatives up there. And one of the things that has always stuck out to me and and seems to intensify the longer I get into this is someone from one side of the political spectrum has a stereotypical view of someone on the other side. And I've noticed that time and time again, that stereotype doesn't really hold up. And so the idea here of red mouse, blue mouse, obviously red and blue represents the, the two political parties, but the mouse part represents an old story about country mouse and city mouse and how you have these preconceived notions of what the, you know, a negative term that, that might be associated with city mouse is liberal elite. You know, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a negative term and it comes with negative connotations. And my goal here is to say that country mouse and city mouse have way more in common if they just turn to each other and talk to each other. So what you're hearing on the record is a conversation. Our bassist, Kevin Smith, is playing the role of country mouse. He plays the blues solo up front. He strums the bass like he's an old blues man on guitar, and he's setting up his side of the conversation. But when the pianist comes in, he represents city mouse. He is sophisticated. The melody is very um, angular and kind of, you know, almost like highbrow. And it's really the juxtaposition of these like country vibe from the bass and this highbrow vibe or sophisticated vibe on the piano. And then slowly but surely, the two musicians begin to talk to each other. And by the end of the track, they're simultaneously soloing as we build toward the end, as they've stopped living in their own comfortable worlds, turned to each other, had a conversation, and realized we are a lot more alike than we thought. Well, it doesn't get any more direct than that. Right on. And the end of that is part of something that I, I tried to be careful on on this recording, which is that I wanted to present what I think is the problem, but also present what I think are two possible solutions. And solution number one is to do what we can to not belong to some of these larger packs. In other words, whatever you think politically, you don't necessarily have to wear your political party's T-shirt and buy their hat and subscribe to their newsfeed the way a baseball fan will say, hey, I root for this team and I'm going to follow them no matter what. So one of it is, is to be aware that when you belong to a larger pack, whether it be you know, a large sect of religion or a large political party, or if you identify with yourself, well, I'm part of this race or I'm part of this country, 
that you should at least be aware that that internally creates dangerous tendencies to dehumanize somebody who doesn't belong to your party, who isn't your race, who doesn't come for your country. Then the second half of it, however, the second part is I think we can also go out of our way to step across. So if I'm white, I should be trying to help people that aren't white. If I'm male, I should be helping people that aren't male. If I, if I think that I'm conservative or liberal, I need to go out of my way to reach across that. Because every time we reach across, whatever pack we think we belong to, if we see another pack, every time we reach across to that pack, we're making things just a little bit better. All right, let's hear the track now. Red Mouse, Blue Mouse from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack by Justin Varnes. And this is Paradigms at Paradigms.life.
That was Red Mouse, Blue Mouse from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack by Justin Varnes. And as Justin was telling us about that song, it's really a conversation. And he's working in that conversation to bring together what seems to be polar opposites, except we're not. We're all in this together. We're all human together. And we actually need each other. Here's the next part of my conversation with Justin Varnes. In other words, our common humanity has to matter more than being right or feeling that one has prevailed ideologically. Absolutely. You just said a mouthful. Prevailed. And ultimately, that's what I learned is that our species, sapiens, homo sapiens, we prevailed because we have a a killer instinct in us to be up front, to stay in front of the evolutionary chain, to be on top. And that is still within us. So if you believe in, you know, if you're a Mac guy and somebody else is a PC guy, there's something internally (laughs) that makes us want to fight hard for some computer company. And we have to recognize that, you know, because we do have a thing where if we believe strongly in something, we want that, we need that thing to win. Otherwise, we fall behind in the evolutionary process, which is just an outdated instinct that we've surpassed a thousand years ago, but our DNA hasn't caught up. Exactly. And it's still hardwired into that part of our brain that's in the back of our head that we don't think about so much. But the old brain is still operating with all that instinctual information. And you're you're absolutely right. It's interesting because I always feel like the dilemma where it's not even a dilemma, really, it's an opportunity to choose to notice our old brain instinctual impulses and then use reason to respond to them as opposed to right. just acting on them. Reason, the big evolutionary step, right? Our greatest weapon, our greatest ally, if you will, is is that reason, is the ability to, to, to fight that. And you're exactly right. That old brain is what makes us get up in the morning. It's what makes us get food. You know, I think food is a great analogy. You know, I have to get up. I've got to get food. I, I, I can't starve. But that's been used against us so poorly where, where, you know, everything is like, hey, you need to eat this. This is, you know, deli- this is delicious. You got to eat this. And then 30 minutes later, you got to eat this. And no meals complete without some dessert. And then we have an <laughs> obesity problem because somebody has taken advantage of that. But we're getting better. We're, we're reasoning our way out of that. We're saying, wait a minute, just because food is fast and readily available doesn't mean it's good for us. And we start to counteract that. Just because it's in front of me doesn't mean I have to eat it. Absolutely. And we're still working on that part. But in the last 10, 20 years, we've made a lot of progress in realizing like, wait a minute, let's think about this and not just react instinctually to eat what this is in front of me. What is this? Let's analyze it. And that's what I'm hoping will happen more and more with these other things that speak to, as you call it, the old brain and slow down and let us use the new brain. Uh, Let us use reason to fight against that so that, you know, tomorrow is better than it was today. And here's an idea that I bet you'll agree with. I think jazz music literally causes the brain to wake up and make new connections inside itself that allow exactly the kind of reason we're talking about. I wholeheartedly agree. That's a great way to put it. Because how can that music not be doing something in your brain? I mean, gosh, just listen to it. (laughs) Wow. Right. Yes. And it's difficult to play, and it requires 
every day you have to get up and try and learn something new and reinvent it and, and not rest on your laurels. We see it in jazz. It obviously exists in other art forms. It exists in other industries. But I do think that is something that humans are wired to do, which is to continue to search and, and work harder on things. And jazz is a great platform for those of us. And, you know, I think that's why musicians like, you know, Charles Mingus and Sonny Rollins and Max Roach and, and Nina Simone and so many other greats were jazz musicians and then, re- and then in that process realized that they have to fight for social change, you know, being inspired as jazz musicians. I don't think it's a coincidence that so many great jazz musicians are also social activists. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. We'll be back with the final part of this conversation after we hear one more track from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack. This one's called Tout le monde aime la France.
That was Tout le monde aime la France from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack by Justin Varnes. And now here's the final part of our conversation. Well, I want to ask you a couple of things. I don't know if they'll stay in the interview, but just for my own personal interest, um, the first I want to ask you about is Phoebe Snow. I saw her perform when she was touring with Jackson Brown in the 70s and was blown away by her and became a fan. And I just want to know what it was like working with her. She was phenomenal. She was one of the sweetest people I've ever met. I mean, just a lot of fun to work with. She was very, very sweet, very endearing. And, you know, she she limited her touring and limited her traveling and all that because she had a, a daughter that was born, you know, in a situation where she was mentally in a place where she couldn't be left for long. So Valerie. Phoebe pulled herself out of the spotlight. Valerie, exactly. She pulled herself out of, the, out of the spotlight to take care of her. And when we toured, we would go out for three or four days, come home for three or four days, go out. She never stayed out for long because she didn't want to be away from Valerie, which is something so special that, that she felt so connected to her. The other thing I'll say about Phoebe, which, you know, to this day still blows my mind is I don't know how many, I did hundreds of gigs with her. I never heard her have a bad night vocally. Just, you know, she just had such a strong voice and it it was amazing every single night. You know, she had these high notes that she would always try to hit and she never missed them. So yeah, she's just, she was absolutely wonderful to work for. She was so, so sweet. She brought a jazz vibrato to pop music and made it huge and people didn't know what the hell they were hearing at first it was incredible i know i love it i love it i want to ask you about your teaching so i know that you teach young people and maybe not young people to drum tell me about your teaching well um i've got a couple of things one i teach at a a a school here in atlanta called the lovett school uh and they've got a cool jazz program lovett school is a k through 12 school but they've got a cool program where they, uh, they have a jazz band called the Ellington Jazz Ensemble. And the director is Tim Pitchford, and I'm the assistant where I basically help with the rhythm section and teach private lessons. So I do that. I also help assist the jazz band over at Georgia Tech here in Atlanta. Before that, I taught at Georgia State University and Emory University before I got the, the Levitt gig. But beyond that, I teach privately and online with jazz drum instruction. One of the things I do online is there are so many adults who loved jazz growing up and played it for a little while, but then, you know, you decide that this isn't a way to make a living. So you become a dentist or a doctor or a contractor or whatever it is. And then as you get older, you realize, I would love to just go back and play the drums again or the guitar or whatever it is. And so I teach those people in Atlanta, but there are so many of them all across the globe. So I put together a lesson site where, you know, I can teach these people. Matter of fact, I, I've got uh, a lesson later on today with somebody from Cape Cod. He's an older gentleman who is trying to get uh, his jazz chops back for his 78th birthday party. He wants to put a jazz band together for it. And that's been incredibly rewarding to see the wheels turn again for some of these people that thought that their days of playing jazz were, were long behind them. What's great about jazz, if Roy Haynes has taught us nothing, What's great about jazz is that there is no age limit to it. This isn't tennis where you're going to, you know, at some point the knees are going to give out. You can play jazz in your 70s, 80s, 90s. As a matter of fact, what usually happens is that as these people start to retire and have more time on their hands, 
they get reinvigorated to discover it again. And um, it's been fun to help these people kind of get restarted, knock the dust off, and, and get moving again. It's really fun hearing how excited you are about all the work you do, about all the different stuff you do. That's the ticket. You're inspired, and you, you're participating, and, and you're, you're part of the big conversation. So right on. That's great. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is a passion of mine. And I really appreciate you listening to the record, giving it some time. And I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and speak with you, Baruch. This was a, a pleasure. And I really hope we get, to, we get to do it again soon. Even if I don't have a record on, I'd like to pop on sometimes and we can just catch up about jazz and world events. I'd love to. Absolutely. Justin, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Justin, so much for talking with me, for being on Paradigms, and for putting your ideas into music and getting that music out into the world. Really love it. The new record, Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack, Justin's website, jazzdrummersresource.com. Check that out. Thank you, Justin. And thank you for listening to Paradigms. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear more Paradigms, you can go to our archives at the Paradigms website, paradigms.life, or in iTunes. There are over 400 archived episodes to listen to. We are definitely in a crisis. It's a global crisis. It's scary and dangerous. So please, be wise. Stay home. The most important thing any of us can do during this is not spread the virus. That's the most important thing any of us can do. So whether we have it or not, make sure you don't get it. Make sure you don't spread it, no matter what. No matter what any politician tells you, don't spread the virus. And then we'll survive. All right, I'm going to leave you with one more track from Survival Instinct, The Evolution of the Pack. This one's called Pulse. I hope you enjoy it. Baruch signing off for Paradigms. We'll be back next time with more inspired, inspiring people. We're going to keep going. The word for the week is love. Contemplate love. How do you feel it? How do you show it? How do you receive it? How do we practice it as a society? All right. I'll see you next time. Be well. I mean it.
been listening to Paradigms at paradigms.life. <laughs>